James chapter 4 this morning. James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 say, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? There's a story in the Jewish Talmud that's a, a collection of ancient Jewish writings, a story of a king who sent two jesters on a mission. One jester was sent out to search across the world and bring back to the king the best thing he could find, the best thing in the world, while the other jester was sent out to search the world and bring back the worst thing he could find. So the two jesters came back to the king, and the first jester entered his presence along with the second one as well, and he, he opened his package, and he said, Behold, sire, the best thing in the world, a tongue. And the second jester started laughing, and he quickly opened his package and said, Behold, sire, the worst thing in the world, a tongue. And that story, of course, illustrates not only how powerful words are, but also the totally different ways they can be used. Words can be the best thing in the world. Have you ever been down? Have you ever been struggling and someone offered you an encouraging word? Or maybe they took time to pray with you? Words can be the best thing in the world. They can praise God. They can spread the gospel. They can do all sorts of great things. But sadly, words can also be the worst thing in the world. We can use lies to hurt people. We can tear down people with our words. We can say mean and hurtful comments that damage people. We can use our words for evil. And if, if some of this sounds familiar, it should. Because James already discussed this, uh, the, the power of words and the power of our tongue in depth in chapter 3, did he not? He taught that even though the tongue is a very small part of our body, it's extremely powerful. A small spark can start a blazing fire. Well, today we see that James is not finished yet teaching us about our speech. I've said this before that the Bible only has to say something once for it to be important. So if the Bible repeats itself, we better perk up. We better take note. James is going to mention again our speech. And as Christians, our desire and our practice must be to use such a powerful weapon for good. But if we're not humble and we're not submitting to God and we're not yielding to His Spirit, then we can speak just as evilly as an unbeliever. Christians can speak some of the most hateful things imaginable, just like a lost person. We're not immune to evil speaking. And that seemed to be one of the major problems for these, these early Jewish Christians to whom James was writing to. If you remember the context, this group was dealing with some terrible issues. Early in chapter 4, we read about wars and fights among them. 
And James gave him the remedy. He said, be humble and receive God's grace. And then he gave ten commands in verse 7 through verse 10. And we saw these last week. These ten commands that went along with and dealt with their fellowship with God. They needed to submit to him first, repent and feel some sorrow for their sin, and humble themselves. And remember, even though they had conflict with one another, James's solution is to get right with God first. All of those commands of verse 7 through 10 had to do with their fellowship with God. It's not until we see this command in verse 11 that he starts talking about one another and a command about not speaking evil of one another. If their fellowship with God was right, if they were humble before him, wouldn't that greatly affect their fellowship with one another in a positive way? And so with that hopefully taken care of, with those commands given, James now turns to how they should treat one another, and he gives this command in verse 11 before he shifts his focus, really in verse 13. But he says in verse 11, Speak not evil one of another. I mentioned last week that the commands in verse 7 through 10 have this urgency with them. But this prohibition in verse 11 is a little bit different doesn't mean it's unimportant, but it's not, it's not implying this sense of urgency like the other ones were. It really stands out at the end of this list of command as being different. We don't really see it in English as much as you see it in the original language, but it's different from all these other commands. And he's probably doing two things with this. First, because of the context of their wars and their fights, this is probably something that was going on and needed to stop. Nothing can rip a church apart faster than words. James talked about the tongue in chapter 3. Now he brings it up again. It seems like evil speech is playing a big role in their problems and it needs to stop. Also, though, secondly, maybe more important for us is this type of command is used in the New Testament, one author says, for habits that should characterize one's attitudes and behavior. Think about it this way. This command to not speak evil of one another is simply a general precept. It is a general guiding rule in your life. It should be your habitual practice that you do not speak evil of one another. It should just be the way it is. Always, continually, the general character of your speech is that it's not evil. So what does that mean really to speak evil about somebody? The word itself here, speak evil, this idea comes from a compound word that literally means to speak down on someone or to speak against someone. And it can be translated a few different ways. Uh, slander, revile, defame, speak evil is a great translation. But this entails a couple of things. First and pretty obviously, it does entail deliberate false accusations and slander. Lies. 
This refers to statements about someone else that are not true, that are, that are said to damage somebody's reputation, to make someone else feel less uh, about the other person. And this is obvious, but we need to be reminded of it. Lying is wrong. And one of the worst things that a lie does is a lie can destroy somebody's life, even though it's not true. People can lie about you, and even though it's not true at all, it does damage. Lies hurt, but they hurt even more when they come from the mouth of a brother or sister in Christ. I expect the world to lie about me. I would hope that you all wouldn't. Paul wrote in Colossians 3, 9, Do not lie to one another. Don't lie to one another. Don't lie about one another. Lying is Satan's native language. He's called the father of lies. But the Bible tells us that God cannot lie. And if we're God's children and we're to speak like Him and we're to become more like Him, then lies shouldn't even enter our mouth. Let's be fluent in telling the truth. Let's be fluent in honesty. That's our Heavenly Father. He's truthful. He doesn't lie. That's Satan's language. And so this is a big part of evil speaking is that it does have to do with lies and slander, but there is more to it. And sometimes this second aspect of this is what we struggle with more than flat-out lying. Evil speaking can be exaggerating real faults or needlessly repeating real faults. So what makes speech evil is not necessarily that the words are false, although that can definitely be the case. But if there's an evil intent, there may be a lot of, quote, bad things we could say about each other that are pretty true. We're a bunch of sinners. But why are we saying them? That's James's point here. Why do we keep dwelling on them? Why are we being overly critical of one another instead of showing some grace? I have a lot of flaws and faults and failings that you could speak about and they'd be true. They would be accurate. You'd, you could be honest and say some bad things about Matt Thornton. But what's your purpose? What's your intent behind that? Now listen, I want you to look at the last couple of verses in James. Verse 19 and 20 of chapter 5. Because the problem that James is addressing is not someone who is humbly trying to help his brother or sister out who's humbly trying to help them realize an error in their ways and um, help them become a better person. James is not teaching that you can't rebuke sin, that you can't speak against sin. Look at chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. He says, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. So James isn't teaching that you can't tell a brother or sister that he's wrong, that you can't say, listen, something needs to be corrected in your life. Listen, you need to start doing this more or you need to stop doing this. 
He's not telling us that. But if we do that, that must be done with grace and love and humility and meekness. Paul tells the Galatians that you better do it with meekness and you better do it while watching yourself so that you don't stumble, so that you don't fall. But that's not what was going on here. These people weren't looking out for one another to help each other. Their methods and their motives were wrong. They weren't trying to make each other better people. They were maliciously tearing each other down with their words, whether it's true or not. It's also assumed here that these evil uh, words are behind somebody's back, that you're really not speaking to them as much as you're speaking about them to somebody else. Whether the words are true or false, if we speak words with the intent to hurt or negatively influence the way someone feels about someone else, that's wrong. That kind of speech doesn't need to leave our mouths. And here's something that's really sad. During this first century world, evil speaking is not mentioned that much in secular writings. not talked about that much, not written about that much. So either it wasn't a problem or they didn't care if it was a problem. But there's a group of men that we call the early church fathers that just refers to uh, a group of men that wrote basically commentaries and things like we have today pretty soon after uh, Christ ascended and after the Bible was finished. Their writings aren't inspired, but they wrote, again, like commentaries like we have today, and they refer to evil speech a lot in their writings. So in the secular Greek world, we don't hear much about it, but in, quote, Christian literature, we do. And I think that tells us a couple things. Number one, if we're writing about it a lot, it might be because there's a problem. And number two, it means that James's command needs to be taken seriously. We're not immune to speaking evil of one another. It might not be a major deal to this world to talk bad about someone else to make yourself look better. But it's wrong. And it shouldn't happen among Christians. Especially shouldn't happen among members of a church. And James reminds them of this relationship that we have with one another. He says, speak not evil one of another. It's wrong to speak evil of anybody. But James is writing to a group of Christians. This also proves it wasn't a one-sided thing. Okay, You didn't have this one group that was this poor, humble, spiritual group that just kept taking the bullets saying, woe is me. There was return fire, all right? Both sides of the aisle, so to speak. They were speaking evil of one another. And they were brethren. James uses this word brethren or brother three times in this verse to remind us of the relationship we have with one another because we're all children of God if we've trusted in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And it stresses how unbrotherly it is to speak evil against each other. Why would we want to say things that tear down our brothers and sisters in Christ? 
but probably almost everybody here has either done it or heard it or seen it. So we know that evil speech can harm others. We know it can hurt others. We know it can negatively influence the thoughts of other people. But James goes deeper, and what we don't often think about is the deeper implication when we speak evil of what we're becoming and what we're doing. Because evil speaking is actually a form of judgment. Notice he says here in verse 11, He that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law. You see the word and here about speaking evil and judging your brother, but don't think of judgment as a separate activity. These, these go together. One author says he's talking about the same activity viewed from a different angle. All right, You may think it's evil speaking, Turn around and look at it from another point of view, and it's actually judging someone. Okay? Because when you speak down on someone, that means that you feel you're higher than them. You've set yourself up higher so that you can speak down. So in a sense, you've made yourself a judge. And so what we become when we speak evil are unjust judges. We've set ourselves up higher than someone else to speak down on them. And James then goes a step further, and he says that speaking evil against another Christian actually means you're speaking evil of the law. It shows a lack of respect for God's law. I don't believe James is talking here about the law of Moses, although you could certainly say that. But I think the, the law he's talking about here is the same law he mentioned in chapter 2 and verse 8 that he called the royal law. That's the law of love. In fact, if you wanted to say it's the law of Moses, that's fine because the whole law is summed up in one word anyway, which is love. So either way you kind of slice it, it's, it's all going to come back to love. Think about this. When you speak evil, especially against a fellow believer, you are acting in an unloving way, which is obviously completely opposed to the law of love that God commands every one of us to follow. Not only does evil speaking violate that law of love, but it essentially makes you a judge of that law. That's what James says. He carries his logic from, from his earlier thought. When you speak evil, you become a judge of your brother. But now he says, but you're also judging, uh, you're also speaking evil of the law, therefore you're also judging the law. His logic is sound all the way through. No Christian is higher than love. It applies to everyone all the time. Nobody is above that law. But when you speak evil against your brother, you're in effect saying, I'm above that law. That law doesn't apply to me. Well, then you've pulled yourself out from under it and set yourself on top of it, and you're becoming a judge of the law that God gave. And James says at the end of the verse, if, if that's the case, if you judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Evil speaking is proof that you're not following the law, so you're not obeying, you're not doing what God told you to do, but rather a judge. 
there's a big contrast here between someone doing the law versus someone judging the law. And you might think, what's the big deal? What's the big deal about judging? People like to judge, right? What does a judge have the ability and power to do? A judge can say you're innocent or you're guilty. A judge can set you free or lock you up. A judge can save or destroy. And you don't have that power. Only God does. Look at verse 12 again. There is one lawgiver, some say one lawgiver and judge, who is able to save and to destroy. When we think about saving and destroying here, when we're thinking about God's power and ability, there's no need to limit it whatsoever. Say, is James thinking about physical or spiritual? Sure. Yes. Did God have the right and the power to physically destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness? Did he also have the right to uh, the right and power to rescue Lot out of that? Sure. Did he have the right and the power to, uh, to destroy the world with a flood? Yes. Did he also have the power and ability to save Noah's family out of that? Yes. Physical salvation, physical destruction, God has that power. But let's go to the spiritual for just a second. Does God have the right and the power to give us soul liberty and give us freedom of choice to either reject or accept Christ? And does he have the right and the power to let those who reject his son stand eternally condemned in hell? But does he not also have the right and the power to forgive and rescue and eternally save anyone who trusts in him? Absolutely. He is the only lawgiver and judge, and all authority belongs to him. The authority to carry out justice and the authority to hand out mercy, to save and destroy, that's something we cannot do. So when we set ourselves up as evil judges over one another, one author says we are usurping the prerogatives of the divine lawgiver. You're playing God. God is the judge. He's the lawgiver. He has this authority. And since he's the only one with this power to save and destroy, since he's the ultimate authority, James says at the end of verse 12, who are you to judge one another? This, this last phrase of verse 12 is very pointed and very emphatic. The best manuscripts say something like this. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? There's a huge contrast James makes between the sovereign lawgiver and judge and you. Who are you? Since we have no authority or no ability to save and destroy them, why are we judging people through evil speech? 
You say, okay, so we get the command. We shouldn't speak evil of one another. And we understand why. Not only is it hurtful and damaging, but it even sets us up in God's place as the lawgiver and judge. And that spot's only reserved for him. So I get the command and I get what it means. But James has already told us, Brother Matt, that I can't tame my tongue anyway. So what do I do? He said in chapter 3 and verse 8 that no man can tame the tongue. So do I just take this command and throw it out and say, I can't, I can't keep this command? Do you remember the commands he just gave in 7 through 10? Look back at verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. If you will submit to God and humble yourself before him, evil speech will not be a problem. Because God will never lead you to speak evil of someone else. If we speak evil of one another or anyone else, it simply means we weren't following the leadership of God's Spirit. God will lead us to speak humble, gracious, loving. If these people would submit to God and they would quit firing bullets back and forth of evil speech, wouldn't that go a long way in ending and healing the wars and fights that were among them? Words can be the, the gasoline on the flames. But if they would submit to God and be humble, they'd stop that. Do you remember that old Disney movie, Bambi? The character in the movie named Thumper? And his mother told him, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That's really not that bad of advice coming from a cartoon rabbit. It's really not. In a much more powerful and meaningful way, the Apostle Paul said it like this in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When we, when we speak, let's ask ourselves, is this going to give grace to the person that hears it? Is this going to build them up or someone else up, or is it going to tear someone down? Paul said in Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May the habitual character of our words be gracious, encouraging for building others up and not lying or tearing down or even being truthful in a critical and harsh way. And humility will go a long way to help season your speech with grace. Because what does God do to the humble? He gives them grace. Before we conclude, I want to ask you a question. In the story of the two jesters, which one of the jesters would have brought your tongue back to the king? Would it have been the one with the best in the world or the worst in the world? 
finally remember that there's one lawgiver and judge. And ultimately, every one will stand before him one day. And he has the power to save and destroy. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not prepared for that day. But if you will repent and you will humble yourself before him and put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will forgive you, he will free you, he will give you eternal life. He has that power and that ability, and he's the only one who does. Would you stand and bow your heads for a prayer as we prepare for an invitation? Father, we thank you for the power of your word and for how it always challenges us. Help us to follow this command, Lord, to have our just the general character of our speech be gracious and not evil towards one another or towards anybody, Lord. Help us to submit to you and be humble and ask you to help us guide our speech, Lord. If there's someone here today, Lord, who, who's never saved, we pray for them. We pray for anybody else who needs to make a decision, Lord. Thank you so much for Jesus and what he's done for us, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.